This is the Guided Podcast, an interview with the fly fishing industry's top guides and brand ambassadors. On this podcast, we cover topics such as the guiding lifestyle, conservation, different fisheries globally, and gear and technology to improve your game. I'm your show host, Greg Keenan. Before we begin today's show, let's thank our sponsors. Scientific Anglers is the leader in producing the world's best fly lines for over 75 years. Scientific Anglers have set new industry standards with their SA Amplitude family of fly lines, both in technology and performance. See the difference for yourself today at scientificanglers.com. Show your show support and follow us on Instagram at Fly Fishing Insider Podcast. Now let's begin. Welcome to Guided. Today, our guest is Jeff Courier. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Greg. Pleasure to be here. No worries. Uh, I'm excited for you as well. Um, <laughs> just, uh, I guess it's kind of funny. I know off air, I was just saying to you, like, I was preparing for this this interview, and I'm just like, I don't know where to start and, and whatnot. So I think I'm going to start at the beginning, and the beginning for you is, is walk us through or tell us like how this you have this amazing job and this amazing career, how it became real for you and, and how you landed this, this particular job. Well, it definitely wasn't planned. That's the first thing I'll tell you. And I get asked all the time how to, how to do what I'm doing. And it's like, I don't know. Cause it wasn't a formula. Um, I started out working in a fly shop uh, after college. It's kind of a little deal I had made with my dad. You know, I wasn't really going to go to college. He's like, you got to go to college. And when you're done, you can screw off all you want. So I went to college and actually graduated in four years. Popped in my car and drove straight out to Wyoming and worked in a fly shop. And I didn't know if that was going to be, you know, a couple of years, five years, maybe a few months, who knows. But it ended up, ended up being a 23-year job. And uh, the fly shop was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So I went from stocking the shelves to, you know, doing fly casting lessons to teaching schools to guiding to actually circling back and managing that shop. And uh, all I can say is that Jackson Hole is an incredible platform for meeting people. You know, it's, it wasn't a little rinky-dinky fly shop in some, you know, strange state. It was a big-time shop, and uh, we had a lot of influential people. We had a lot of people that spent a lot of money and fished all over the world. And so I was, I was very fortunate to, to learn um, a lot of things that most people don't get the opportunity. And then also the opportunity you know, went from there to actually traveling myself. And, uh, yeah, that's how it started. And, uh, here I am. Crazy. Now you're not just traveling. You, I believe you're, you're traveling and scouting for, for yellow dog, um, fly fishing adventures, as well as for your own, your own video and footage as well. Right. Tell us a bit about that. And yeah, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say that's right. But you know, long before Yellow Dog, so I started in 1987 in that fly shop. Um, I was traveling, you know, for some reason. It was just something I had a bug in my ear that I had to, I felt like I had to see the world. And that was probably because, you know, customers were coming in and getting outfitted for New Zealand and outfitted for Belize. And I had to go to those places. And I was, you know, my boss wanted me to be able to sell those people stuff. So I was sent to, to places like that at a young age. 
but then I got the travel bug. Then I started doing, you know, crazy stuff on my own, you know, adventure, you know, travel just to see places and try to discover things. And uh, because I had that background when Yellow Dog came around, and also it helps that I was good friends with the uh, founder, Jim Clue, mm-hmm. um, they contacted me and said, we need to have you as an ambassador and help us, you know, develop some of these new places and check them out and make sure they're legit for the average person to go fishing. So it's, I've been very lucky. Oh, I bet. So what are some of the 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 most vivid memories and wild places that you've been to um, that you can recall in your travels? Well, I mean, I got, I've got a lot. I've got, um, um, kind of this, when you travel like that on your own, you know, especially back in the late eighties, early nineties, before we had the internet to get us around, you just, you traveled with uh, the lonely planet. You just read about uh, the area you're going to, you know, and you, you had no pictures, you had nothing. So a lot of times you got into trouble and, uh, found myself in some bad places at times. I, you know, I traveled all of Central America on the local buses. So I will say that in El Salvador and Nicaragua, we had some, some tight situations at times. You know, Managua was not a good city to hang out back then. But, uh, at the same time, and even in recent years, I've had weird things happen, like, uh, fishing with my good friend, Misty Dillon over in India, who is, he's kind of the king of fly fishing from last year. And, uh, in 2008, I ran into a tiger. And uh, that was a that was a wild one. So I have some very vivid memories of that tiger. I will tell you that. So, like, I'm just trying to picture. Are, are you like walking around in India, or you're just like fly casting on like some riverbank, and this tiger jumps out of the the woods? Like, like, explain to me what what that's all about. <laughs> yes, it's a long story, so I'll give you the short two minute version. But uh, uh, we were in a, a very thick jungle in northern. India up around the Ramganga River, which is very close to Corbett's National Park for tigers. And uh, the first thing you ever ask when you camp in, in India is, has anybody ever seen a tiger here? And everybody will look at you, and usually you have a staff of a dozen people that are helping with camp, and none of them have ever seen a tiger. That's how rare the animal is. So I was not expecting to see a tiger, and, uh, you know, I was hiking through the jungle trying to get into a new spot, and it was a pretty good, pretty good haul to get to where I was going. I was with my little, you know, he wasn't a guide. He was kind of my chaperone. I've been with this kid all week. He didn't speak a word of English, but he was super cool. We had our little, you know, we got, we figured out how to communicate pretty good. And for our friend that day, there was arm. I said, huh, I'm probably going to do an area with leopards. Nonetheless, it didn't slow me down. And, uh, those guys were so busy chatting it up. A lot of times I'd get too far ahead of those guys. And, and uh, I knew for like two hours that something was following me. I mean, I just, the hair was standing up strange in the back of my neck and, uh, the animals were acting good. I didn't know what it was. You know, in the long story, I explained all that stuff. But, uh, in the end, I finally got myself, I was, I was cutting, doing a shortcut to get to a piece of the river. And that feeling hit me so strong. I froze and I looked up and the tiger was on a rock behind a bush. Just all getting pretty darn close to jumping on me. I think another few steps, it was game over. And uh, luckily he spooked. My behavior spooked him and uh, watched this massive tiger just turn and vanish in the jungle. Wow, wow, wow. Crazy. Yes, uh, that's very vivid. But the hair on my neck standing up just hearing that story. So <laughs> It's a good story. If you ever seen you at a bar, you, you have to want to hear that the full detail of that one. I'll definitely have to meet you at the bar. So, hey, Jeff, are, are you like, 
um, I know you're an artist with with painting and stuff like that, but I'm gonna, and we'll get into that in a second. But are you like documenting? Is there anywhere where you are documenting all your travels and stuff? Like, or is it is there videos of of this that we can talk about? Well, you know, unfortunately, some of the older times not. Um, I have handwritten journals and cabinets here that someday when I'm old and I can't travel anymore, I will probably turn into a you know big beautiful book. But since 2009. October 2009 to be exact, I have written about every single day of fishing. So if you go to my website, jeffcareer.com, and go to my blog, you will uh, be able to go all the way back to 2009, and every single adventure I've been on since then is fully written with with photographs. So, for instance, if you Google up fly fishing in Bhutan, you're going to find my story of you know going over there with World Wildlife Fund trying to find Golden Moss here. So, yeah, a lot of my stuff is right out there for people to enjoy. Wow, you, you truly have uh, traveled to some pretty awesome places, that's for sure. So, um, and I highly suggest that the listeners check that out if they're remotely interested in, you know, in learning more about what you're doing on that, for sure. So, Jeff, as I mentioned earlier, you're into to artwork and you do some painting. Tell me about that. Well, um, I guess it was in the early 90s I was doing shows for some legendary uh, fly fishermen. I was hanging out with Gary LaFontaine and Jack Dennis and Mike Lawson. I was kind of their baggage carrier. And while those guys were doing demonstrations at the shows, I would be selling their books and videos for them. And uh, the reason I had that connection is Jack Dennis was the name of the fly shop I worked for. So Jack would bring me along to you know help sell stuff for the store for him. And, uh, but I was also communicating with the customers at the shows and I was just getting off the ground in my saltwater fly fishing career. Gary LaFontaine was sitting behind me while I was waiting on a customer and I was explaining to him how to make a tarpon meter. And Gary goes, <laughs> he just nonchalantly goes, Curry, you should write a book about saltwater fly fishing. I looked at him like my, like his hair was on fire. You know, Gary LaFontaine telling me to write a book. Mm-hmm. But, uh, he stayed, he stayed on me and I wrote that book. It took me, uh, you know, about a winter winter and a half to get it done and then uh he said i had to hire somebody to illustrate it because he loved the book and was going to publish it and that wasn't an option so i taught myself how to paint that next four months wow crazy what's the book called it's called courier's quick and easy guide to saltwater fly fishing still out there in its fourth printing now it sure is definitely a, a classic you know when we, it's funny because you talk about the different fisheries as well, like the the freshwater and saltwater river fishing. Uh, wh- like, what's your favorite? Like, what do you? I mean, you're doing all this stuff for for yellow dog as well. Um, you know, the, I'm very familiar with your your various brands that you're in, and whatnot that you're an ambassador for, and you know those brands are all over the place. Whether it's saltwater, freshwater, um, like, what do you prefer? What's your passion? What drives you? Or is there one? Well, that's the second most common question I get there, Greg. Usually people want to know what my favorite species is, but the next place is what's my favorite place to go or stuff to fish for. And there, there isn't one favorite because you go through phases in life, but I do love getting on airplanes and I do love traveling. And um, I would say right now, the thing I'm craving the most is the jungle. I just love you know peacock bass fishing. I love tiger fishing. I love the fact that uh, you get that's as far away as you can get from humans, you know, in the middle of the Amazon or in the middle of Africa. And, uh, I love the whole package. I love the birds. I love the animals. I love, I love the fact that there's a little bit of danger. Um, I don't know why that's kind of stupid. Most people would say that's, that's not real smart, but for me that, you know, 
That's what drives me. Mm-hmm. I, I love that stuff. What is it about a peacock bass? I know I'm kind of fascinated with it as well. I've never caught one, never been in the jungle um, at all. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. I'm dying to go there. But, uh, you know, what is it that's so, like, magical or, or, or methodical about it, about that fish? Like, why does it? Why is it a, a bucket list species for me as well? Um, you know, I, I just I can't answer that. Do you know why people are so fascinated with that, in your opinion? Well, I think number one, it's a uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful fish. I mean, the pictures you look at that thing, and you just you have to have one. I mean, when you see a great big male with the colors and that hump in his head, you're just like, man, someday in my life I need to catch a peacock bass. And then you start looking, you know, at the rest of the article that goes with it, and you're looking at that beautiful jungle. I mean, it, it, it's just it's a stunning environment, and then the birds and the animals. Um, and the fact that you're in the Amazon, which I think has always been kind of, a, you know, one of those hidden treasures for an American because, you know, Teddy Roosevelt was, you know, wrote the book and stuff. And I don't know, it's a whole package fish. And that's what got me there the first time. I mean, it was definitely a priority as far as my first exotic jungle trip. That's where I wanted to go. That was number one on the list. I hear you. Jeff, like, what's the, te- um, like the technical aspects of how you would fish for these fish? Like, walk me through that. Well, that's the other intriguing thing, too, because uh, they don't come easy. They're kind of a, when they take a fly, and it's, I kid you not, when they take a fly, you know, a big one, is basically almost impossible to stop. Anybody with, with no experience with them is going to get schooled. And what I mean by that, that fish takes the fly and he pulls just as hard as a 100-pound target does. The difference is he only does it for 15 seconds, but 15 seconds is plenty of time to get you uh, caught up in the bushes and broke off in a log. So I always laugh when, because I, I always mm-hmm. want to be an observer when I'm with a new peacock bass guy because it's just going to be such an incredible take. And they just look back at you so helpless, like, what just happened? I'm like, you just got, you just hooked your first peacock and you just <laughs> broke your 40 pound test. <laughs> You know, it's the way it is. They're incredibly powerful. I bet. I bet. Uh, no, for sure. And what about the flies that you're you're using for these guys? Like, is it top water or, or what? It, like, how are you how are you fishing? Like, how yeah, top, are you, yeah. Top water is uh, really good stuff. It's actually um, you know a lot of times you're peacock bashing with two people. So the person that's front of the boat should be throwing a popper because number one they'll catch fish, but also they'll wake up some of the big ones down deep. And then the back of the boat should be a guy with a streamer. And uh, the flies are big. You know, it's not uncommon to be fishing a four-rot streamer fly. And uh, I like bright flies. I like, you know, yellows and oranges. Those are really good. Crazy. What uh, What's the final tip on peacock bass for anyone out there that's uh, listening that's like, hey, you know, I'm going to hit this fishery. What's something that you would give a, a newbie or a, a seasoned person? Just a tip. I would say try to get on a hosted trip and uh, go with a host that has a lot of experience. A lot of people will host a trip because they want to go on the trip too. And, you know, maybe their first time and they might be, I'm sure they're great folks and just going down there with you know, taking a group and having fun. But, you know, you need to have somebody the experience to make sure your leader's correct and make sure that you, you know, like what I just told you, I will sit there, you know, the first night with my clients and beat it into their head that when this fish takes your fly, you cannot let him take any line or you're not going to catch him and show him how to do it. So that's that's the best advice I can get. Go with somebody that has experience with him. 
I hear you. No, for sure. I mean, I've I've always stated that if if you go back to my past episodes, that if you you don't just show up at a destination fishery like that and try and wing it. So, um, for sure, couldn't agree more. So, you know, speaking of destinations and different fisheries, I know you were over in what was it, the Indian Ocean, and you were catching big fish because I know you're, you're it's what you do. Um, tell me about that, and tell me about some of the the developments and technical technical aspects that came out of that trip. Well. Um when you go to the Seychelles, um, you are usually being guided by South African anglers. And in fact, some of that jungle stuff, like my tiger fish trips that I go on are with uh, some guys from a company called African Anglers. They used to be called Tourette Fishing, but they changed to African Anglers. And uh, there are a few outfits in, in Africa that are run by South Africans. And the first thing I learned on my first trip is that, you know, they're not trying to break world records, which is when you have to use, you know, 20 pound tippet or less. They're there to catch the fish. And, uh, for instance, first time I went to Christmas Island, I only landed one big giant trevally because I got hit in a coral by the other 20 that I hooked. I mean, they're virtually impossible to catch because they live near a coral and they'll take you there. You can't stop the GTs. But now, you know, that first trip over to the Seychelles, my guide's like, okay, we're going to fish straight 100 130 pound test here when the gt grabs your fly don't let him take any line i mean i looked at the guy like that's impossible isn't it and he's like no Curry, you're bigger you're stronger than even a you know 60 pound gt don't let him take any line and then you know i fished bower reels he cranked up my drag and pulled on it goes, that reel will hold this fish you just need to hang on to your rod keep a bend in it and don't let him pull you out to sea and i said well dude look i'm 170 pounds i'm gonna get pulled out to sea and uh the first time you know, GT uh, took my fly and took off uh, like that, and I tried to hold him, and my fly line broke. So I said, you know, we've got a problem here, dude. These fly lines, you know, the heaviest fly lines are like 40, 50 pounds, and our tip is 130. We have an issue. And, um, well, that was the beginning of, like, SA, making stronger lines. So a lot of people are familiar with their Titan papers. Yeah, they got yeah. their big water Titan, which is a 100-pound core. And that came about from a lot of my crazy trips. Um, and not just the Seychelles, but also going to the jungle for Arapaima. That's another fish where you really can't let him run. And uh, that 100-pound core fly line is the answer. Now you can catch those fish much more often than you used to as long as you're willing to fish heavy tippet and, and have the courage to hang on for dear life and do that tug of war, which is, I say courage, it is scary. Because I personally, with some of those fish, get pulled out into the water a little ways. <laughs> really? Fun. Wow. That's yeah, terrifying. <laughs> I bet, I bet. So, is there is there other dangers in the water? Like if you're pulled out, or yeah, I mean, uh, it's not like I'm getting pulled out to sea and you know treading water. But yeah, you can get tipped over in the coral and get banged up. It seems like every time I host a group to the Seychelles, somebody gets cut up really bad in the coral yeah. or on the rocks. It it definitely can happen. Yeah. Um, but you get better at it. Eventually, you start learning. You know, rod angles. You know, most people, they're inexperienced people are going to put a big bend in their fly rod like like they've seen in pictures their whole life. But the truth of the matter is you try to get that rod at a slight bend where it bends all the way down the cork, but just a little bit. And because uh, you got that 130-pound test, you know, fish can't break that. Crazy. Um, unless you've got teeth, you know, that's yeah. a different story. But, you know, GT, he's going to fight in one place and he's going to, you break their spirit is what really happened. Yeah. I bet, I bet, I bet. Hey, so just just to clarify, Jeff, that's uh, you're using one. Th- one uh, walk me through your leader to to line setup again for GTS. 
Yeah, so let's say that I'm fishing GTs. I'm going to have on the big water tight taper from scientific anglers, and it's a, it's a floating one. I do use some of their sinking ones as well when I'm going to dredge for group and stuff. But uh, so I have that line, and then I go straight off the loop that the SA line comes with. I think those things are, you know, over a hundred pound test loop. And then I fish straight 130 pound test and just like four to six feet on it is, is about what, what I use. There are some exceptions. Um, if you go to a place that's, that's, uh, the GTs have had a lot of pressure, like, um, St. Brandon's that's all the place where there's not a whole bunch of GTs, but they have some gigantic resident ones. And, um, so they've seen some flies there. So we usually fish a 10 foot leader for those. But in general, short 130 pound test, tie your fly on with a, with a loop knot. And I use a non slip model loop. I think that's a super strong loop and hang on tight. Pretty simple. You're killing me. I'd love to, I'd love to get out there right now. You so. will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take you up on that. So, Hey, you know, Jeff, I also want to touch base. Um, you know, I know that uh, the whole COVID thing going on right now, unfortunately, like, how, how obviously this has put a kibosh on all your travels and stuff. Um, but what what is next for you? Well, um, I honestly don't know. You know when I'll be able to start traveling. But the closest thing I have on the books are actually quite simple. I, you know, once this happened, I you know backed off on booking things. You know, anything big, anyways. So I do I do have some some trips back to the Indian Ocean, but they're not till 2021. I'm going to hold off and. Unless it opens up, then I'll probably jump over there late this year. But the next thing I actually have on the books would be going to Minnesota to fish Lake Malax uh, for walleyes and hopefully some big muskies. There's some huge muskies in that lake these days. And uh, that'll be fly fishing with some of my buddies that live in that area that uh, I went to college with. And then uh, after that, I, I head up to New England to smallmouth fish for about 10 days. And I'll probably do a little trout fishing for brook trout up in northern New Hampshire as well. And, uh, you know, so just small trips like that throughout most of, of the summer. It's possible I'll go to Iceland in July, but it's not official yet. We'll see if I can travel there. Nice. That uh, I bet you that'll be fun up there for sure. So Yeah, it's great. Uh, have you been there before? Yeah, I've been over there three times. i got some real good friends that uh, are Icelanders that are in the fly fishing industry that, um, you know, they, they outfit people for Atlantic salmon for those giant Ice Age brown trout. And, uh yeah, you know, a lot of one of the reasons I get to travel too is not just the yellow dog, but there are quite a few lodges out there that you know, especially new lodges that want to have somebody come and see it and write about it. And my blog gets a lot of traffic. I have you know between five and eight thousand viewers, and uh, you know, if somebody Google's up fishing in you know Golden Dorado in Bolivia, they're going to find out about Untamed England because I've been there and I've written you know did my day by day accounts. Yeah. So it's very valuable for these lodges to have that out there. And uh, so I get lucky and get invited to these places. Crazy. It's kind of like us with our, our lodge program as well. So, um, Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, really cool. Hey, Jeff, what uh, what else do you got going on? Is there anything else new, um, you know, with, with Yellow Dog or any, uh, any of your other ambassadorships? Um, no, it's pretty much the same ones. I work I work now with, uh, I guess the newest one would be Fly Fishers International, which is um, has been great. You know, that's that's a group that's been around for many years, but they've been very trout-oriented. Mm-hmm. And um, they brought me along to kind of change the image a little bit, but also get more people involved with it. And, uh, 
you know, the fly fishermen today now, I would have to say it's almost like 50% trout and 50% other stuff where it wasn't like that 20 years ago. And if you don't tap into that other stuff, then you kind of lose interest in people. So well, and you I lose think 50% that, uh, of the market, right? Exactly. So now, you know, I hopefully I get to be a big part of, you know, getting more people involved in that. In fact, a week from tonight, let's see, today's Wednesday, May 6th, will be the first night that I'm going to do a presentation for those guys. And every Wednesday night for the month of May and the first week of June, I'm going to do like a 20-minute presentation and then take on questions and answers. And my first one next week will be about fishing in Iceland for Atlantic salmon and the giant brown trout of the lakes. And uh, but my last one is going to be like the first week of June will be about fishing in Cameroon. So just off-the-wall stuff, but very educational and interesting, hopefully, to, to people. Even if they don't get to go to Cameroon someday, which most people, of course, are not, mm-hmm. it's kind of good to know that it's out there. Absolutely crazy. You know, it's funny. I was going to let you go, but now I'm going to ask you, what do you, you know, you, you said you were, <laughs> you said you were going up to, uh, to do some musky fishing as well. And I'm like, what do you think about that fishery? I mean, I'm fine. I'm, I'm seeing more and more of that fishery, like kind of popping up. Um, is it a re refocused is the word I'm going to use refocused fishery or, or do you find that it's getting more attention? Like why, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you mean muscalunge in yeah. general, musky yeah. fishing in general? For, oh yeah, for fly yeah, fishing. it's taken off. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's been it's been taken off gradually for probably twenty years, thanks to a guy named Bill Sher who's up in Boulder Junction, mm-hmm. uh, Wisconsin, which is Wisconsin is my own stomping grounds. I went to school at Northland College, so I know the area well, and I I loved it so much. I go back at least once a year. I was already back there for a week ice fishing back in February, but. Um, in the last 10 years, now the muskie thing has taken off far beyond um, just Bill being, you know, the, one of the one and only few guides up there. Now there's quite a few people guiding muskies in Wisconsin. Yeah. Actually down, you know, Virginia, down in the South, North Carolina. Um, you know, you got Blaine Chocolate down there in Virginia, and he's catching probably some of the biggest muskies that are being caught in some of those southern rivers. I, I got to get down there and fish with Blaine next year. But, uh, this thing in Minnesota, Mille Lacs, that really hasn't been tapped into too much. That's It's a walleye fishery that has turned into an incredible musky fishery, but I don't know many people that have fly fished it yet. Hmm. So I don't know if we're going to do that well. We'll see. We'll give it a try. All you can do is give it a try, so for sure. Jeff, yeah. you, you know what? Um, definitely awesome stuff. I, I could probably spend an hour here with you, So, but um, I am going to let you go uh, on this episode. But if someone wanted to reach out to you, talk to you, ask you questions, ask you questions again about that essay setup or ask you questions about your travels and your upcoming stuff, where can they find you or reach out to you at? Um, two places. JeffCurrier.com is my website, and there's a contact button on there. And then my Instagram is JeffCurrier65, and that's, that's a really good one because you know that I'm checking in on even when I'm traveling because it just takes me a second and usually have my phone with me. So as long as I have service, I'll get your message. But I'm always, you know, one of the things I love is helping people catch fish so they can reach out to me anytime. Awesome. I'm going to make sure I put all those details within the show notes as well, Jeff. So Jeff, listeners, thank you guys. Make sure uh, you check it out. Uh, What is it? Wednesday, May 6th. Is that correct, Jeff? That's right. Yep. And every Wednesday from there on after. Absolutely. Follow his daily fishing blogs. That's crazy. His daily fishing blogs since 2009. Guys, check it out. Jeff, I want to thank you for being a guest on Guided. My pleasure, Greg. Thank you. No worries.
You've been listening to the Guided Podcast, sponsored by Scientific Anglers. If you like this podcast episode, please let us know and leave a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. And remember, subscribe to the Fly Fishing Insider Podcast to get even more episodes of both Guided and the Fly Fishing Insider each week. See more at flyfishinginsiderpodcast.com.